Logical Progression, Year 1, Lesson 21. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa baraka nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Allahumma la sahla illa ma ja'altahu sahla. Wa anta tajlul hazna idha shi'ta sahla. Allahumma a'inna ala dhikrika wa shukrika wa husna ibadatika ya rabbil kareem. Ameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. So folks, um, no, it's not working. You might actually, we might have a problem with this mic today. Okay. Is that better now? Yeah? Okay. All right. So, um, the uh, first things first, I wanted to thank all the messages of uh, support from, uh, the messages of support and um, congratulations from all the Arsenal fans, the City fans, the Scousers. <laughs> I thought it was very, very, yani, noble, huh? Yeah, yeah, no, they did, yeah, they did, they did. Subhanallah. Scousers, in my opinion, they are they are a, a misunderstood people. You know what I'm saying? They're, it's not their fault. They get cursed, Subhanallah, with the most ajib things. You know, they think they're turning the corner. They think they're gonna get past the problems, and they get cursed with like you know someone like Kenny Dalglish or something like that. Yeah. Then they think that they found their savior. Then they get cursed with Brendan Rodgers. Then they get Yanni. They think that you know we're make, we're making some kind of comeback. And then they get cursed Yanni with Hungry Ed himself, Yanni Suarez. At least they didn't make him his captain. Suarez, Suarez Yanni. We're we gonna get a bite to eat afterwards. Above That's tough. You guys hungry from some fiqh, yeah? <laughs> Do you know how many I've got? Maybe like twenty lines, yeah? Yeah. I've got a serious appetite for some jokes today, you know, bro. <laughs> but I don't know whether I can insatiate your need for fiqh. That's the problem. We're going to stop it there because it can get too carried away. Miskeen Suarez, to be honest. He didn't even buy him. He didn't, he didn't. If you look closely, he was, he was gnawing at him, which is different from a bite. A bite is something, stuff like haram, a bite is like, kind of behavior, like Tyson style, that's a bite. Yeah? But I think he was like, he, he, was, he just wanted the taste of his, of his skin. He was getting, <laughs> which is gnawing. He gnawed at him. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I don't think it's that, I don't think it's that serious, to be honest. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, we were watching it, we would find it funnier than, than shocking, isn't it? It was funny as opposed to shocking. He's a top player, that's why I like him, to be honest. Anyway. Oh, as for Sister Widad, uh, she always puts exactly where we are, um, you know, so that I know where we can start. But she does it a bit too late. Um, <laughs> I need you to do it at the beginning of the day or something like that, and not, not at the end of the day, just before the lesson. <laughs> so I need your help in that. But I think what we did is that we ended with the meaning that we chose for Ghufranik, yes? Yeah, is that basically what you guys have? You agree with that? Cool. So then, so if we then, Ghufranik, um, yes. So if it's a Ghufranik, then right, that's, that's uh, so, now, so now on page one then, uh, we are with, وَعِنْدَ الْخُرُوجِ مِنْهُ غُفْرَانَكَ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ الَّذِي أَذْهَبَ عَنِّي الْأَذَى وَعَفَانِي so in the text, we are now talking about, so when a person exits the toilet, I seek your forgiveness. And now, all praise be to Allah who removed from me all harm and pardoned me. Removed from me all harm and then pardoned me. Okay, so that's at the bottom of page 107. Now, the other in Arabic is harm. Okay, other is harm. And here, harm is referring to the poison and the filth of feces and urine which obviously is in the body and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has removed it Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has removed it and the afani um, and he had uh, afiyah upon me Sheikh Uthaymeen says um, that if it was to remain if it was to remain in the body 
it would then become um, poisonous and harm me further. So the first one, the first one is to actually just get rid of something which is dirty, which isn't of in of itself uh, harmful. It's just dirty and disgusting, whatever, and taking up space or whatever. Whereas the second, uh, the afia is the real thing. It's what gets rid of the uh, consequence attached to it. This is how Sheikh Uthameen explains the dua. What's interesting, there are a number of things that I want to talk about here. Uh, the first thing is that this uh, dua, uh, uh, which has been chosen not just by the Hanbali Madhab, but actually a number of Madhahib, okay, is based upon a hadith which is weak. And it is narrated by Ibn Majah in the Book of Purification, that the chapter of that what should be said when you come out of the toilet is on the authority of Anas ibn Malik, and it was considered weak by Imam al-Nawawi in Sharh al-Muhadhab and al-Busiri in Zawaid. It was also narrated by Ibn al-Sunni in Amal Yawm al-Layla, which is an amazing, amazing book, by the way. Ibn al-Sunni wrote this book, he gathered this book together, he called it The Actions of the Day and the Night, and it basically starts from the beginning of his day and at the end of his night, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, and it records every single action and dhikr that he would do. And SubhanAllah, it's a book dying to be translated, SubhanAllah. And uh, by Ibn al-Jawzi in Al-Ilal, um, on the authority of Abu Dhar, and it was also it was also uh, made weak by Imam Al-Nawi in Al-Khulasa, and it has a number of... But it was considered to be Hassan by Imam uh, Ibn Hajar as a Athar, as an Athar. Now you will remember from the early lessons, what's an Athar, generally, uh, generally speaking? Correct. It's a statement of the Sahaba. Even though the word Athar itself means narration. Okay? So, if I said Athar al-Nabi sallallahu due to the Athar of the Prophet, then I'm talking about a Hadith. But if I just say the word Athar by itself, then uh, using it in that kind of sense, Athar, then I'm referring it to be a statement of a companion or even uh, a Tabi'i or the Athar of Kada. But that's generally. But if I mention a name to it specifically, it could be a Hadith as well. By classification of like the Hadith scholars of the fifth and sixth generation, because the early generations would use these words interchangeably. Correct, correct. There's no doubt that all of these problems or these need or, or this need for me to keep having to redefine, redefine is because of changing uh, use of the terminology that has always been evolving. Actually, actually, all of fiqh is new words. And you learned that lesson last week, or was it the week before, when I said this chapter could be called 10 different names, right? How on earth can one action be called 10 different names? Only because the Prophet ﷺ didn't call it a chapter, and the companions never studied it as a fiqh chapter. So whenever you see these words, it doesn't, they don't mean that much, Yani, you know what I'm saying? So uh, 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 when, I, when, I, when I say they don't mean that much, I mean that you don't read too much into the word. Hadith isn't so important. Athar isn't so important, Istinja isn't so important, Bab isn't even so important, Kitab, all of these uh, mustalahat, these terms, have been put by the scholars afterwards. You know what I'm saying? So um, that's something which is important to, to understand. But anyway, Athar, um, Ibn Hajar considered to be authentic as a statement of uh, Abu Dhar, Abu Dhar only, only, okay? So not a hadith of the Prophet So conclusion, this is not a hadith. And it is not therefore sunnah to say this statement. And if someone says it out of copying uh, Abu Dhar, then that's okay. That's okay. All right? So that's the first thing that you With need to know. Sorry? With the intention of getting rewards. With the intention of getting reward in asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and praising Him for this, praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this is a recognition. Recognizing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a way which has been narrated by some of the companions <laughs> is acceptable for reward, inshallah. The uh, interesting point is afia. You know the word afia is something which we, we use a lot. We have very little idea of what it means. It's actually quite a complicated subject. Maybe you can say even semantic discussion between the scholars of what is the difference between afia and maghfira and so on. You know, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks back or maybe a week back on Facebook, I was translating a dua and I've forgotten it completely, but it was definitely in Arabic and it was, it was involving afia. And I translated it as forgiveness. And the reason I translated it as forgiveness is because these words are interchangeable with one another. Meaning that when you look at the word afia, it is forgiveness. 
when you're just looking at the word afia. But when you're looking at the word maghfira, yeah, that is also forgiveness when you're dealing with it by itself. Yeah, like afu, exactly. Afu. Now, when you combine both of the words, yani you have a sentence where they're both used, then we have to differentiate between the meaning. And we've discussed this a number of times, yes? And it's important to keep reminding ourselves, this is, a, this is one of the most important principles in Arabic language, in tafsir, in fiqh, that whenever you see a word used by itself, it can, it can cover all meanings, but when it's used together with the other word, which is similar to it, then it necessitates to have a different meaning. So, uh, for example, uh, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, wa'fu uh, anna at the end of Surah Al-Baqarah, wa'fu anna, carry on, wa'fir lana, warhamna, oh Allah have afia upon me, we want your afu, oh Allah have, uh, have ighfirli, yani give, your, give me your maghfira, your forgiveness, and your rahma, yani be merciful upon me. Now, it is acceptable to say that if there was only just, if the word was just used by itself, nothing else, we could say this word means, pardon me, forgive me, have mercy upon me. All of it. If it just said, we could say that this encompasses all of those meanings. And if we said, have mercy upon me, I could say by saying, have mercy upon me, I want Allah to pardon me, to forgive me, and to make things easy for me. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? But now when we use each of the three words separately, we have to give them specific meaning. So if I'm going to go into this detail and say, yes, we need specific meaning. Uh, the afu, afu, which is par, the pardon, the pardon of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And it's an interesting word because the word afia also has the connection with, with sound state and good health. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for afia. When you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for afia, you're not just asking for being pardoned, but you're also asking for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for good conditions, good health, and so on. Yes? I want you to think of it like this, that the afia is erasing the sin. Afia, as far as I'm concerned, is better than maghfira. Is stronger than maghfira. And if you think, if you think, and some of the scholars said that, and some, some said, no, no, it's not. It's a semantic discussion. But if you think about the dua that the Prophet ﷺ chose on the most important moment of dua, on the most important night of dua, on the most important second of calling Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala when he's most closest, what was that dua? Allahumma innaka afuun tuhibbul afu fa'fu anni. Yeah? Oh Allah, you are indeed the pardoner, the one who gives the afu, and you love to do that, so pardon me. He could have chosen maghfirah and so on, but he didn't, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I just think that there is a power in that. And some of the scholars, Ibn Qayyim has the biggest discussion on this in general. They say that if you're going to combine them, then afu is, that maghfirah is like ghafara, like the linguistic meaning, which is to, 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 to bury. To bury. You know when you bury some, uh, uh, something, okay? And the maghfar is the helmet, صح? Yeah? In the armor. Yani protecting, concealing, hiding. You know, actually they said, some of the ulama, they said that when you're referring to this helmet and armor, which is taken from the word of ghafara, okay, the mighfar, it's hiding what's underneath, hiding which is sensitive underneath, right? If it was exposed, then you can be killed, right? But you cover it up and it's hard, so it protects you. Also the ghafar the, 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 is the digging into the floor. So that's why the scholars said that the maghfara is concealing. It's like a meeting of concealing. You're concealing the skin because it's sensitive and at risk, and you're concealing something in the ground. So that's the maghfira. Whereas the afia is erasing completely, completely erasing. So of course, the erasing of the sin is better than the concealing of the skin, uh, the the sin. Yeah, does that make sense? So you might say put afia at the top and then maghfira just slightly below it, and maybe mercy has its own role. And uh, if you were to do it in the area of, and some of the ulama said this, that in the tafsir of Surah Al-Baqarah, wa'afu anna wa lana warhamna, wa'afu anna ya Allah, erase all sins between me and you. Because ultimately that's the only thing that matters, right? Yani that the sin itself, or whatever the consequence of a sin in this life, we can deal with it. We can deal with it one way or the other. But what we don't want is to be held accountable for it in akhirah. Yes? So, anna, ya Allah, erase my record of sins with you. Cleanse me completely. 
وَغْفِرْ لَنَا يَا اللَّهِ Hide the sins that I do from the other people. So that the other people don't realize how bad I am or how many mistakes I make. Because of course, you know this is the reality. Everyone sins and the Sahaba who are better than us and purer than us, they, they used to make, make these statements very famously from them. Abdullah bin Mas'ud's most famous statement is that people knew if my sins had a bad smell, if they actually left a bad smell, people wouldn't be able to sit next to me. That's Abdullah bin Mas'ud. Yeah. So there's this, there is this understanding that our sins are huge. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is hiding them for, uh, uh, for us all the time so that we don't be humiliated and we don't uh, uh, lose respect and honor in the sight of people and that life can carry on because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows who makes mistakes all the time and he understands that. So the afiyah is between me and Allah get rid of my sins completely so I don't have to answer for them. The maghfirah is almost to say that conceal the sins between me and the people so there's one thing about your record, but between me and the people, hide them so they don't never know that I am like this. And uh, the rahmah, warhamna, have mercy upon me, is like, give me tawfiq, bless me and help me so that I don't do this in the, in the future. Yeah? Uh, because also, when you look at Yusuf alayhi salam, when he said, illa marham Allah, what was he worried about? What's the ayah of Allah, Shaykh Abdullah? What Yusuf is explaining in Surah Yusuf that the nature of the self is so, so uh, aligned, aligned to do wrong. The nafs is so desirous and it's so under pressure to go and do wrong and everyone is going to do it except he who Allah has mercy upon. So here, the, you know, when you read mercy, it's like except he who Allah protects. So it's almost like this is going to happen to everyone out there except who Allah protects via his mercy, blessing this person. So I like that subhanAllah. This is a really good yani, tafsir explanation using the Quran and using the language. That this is what would be the steps. Anyway, I think I think I th I th I th I, th I think uh, that's important, but we need to move on because I think we've just spent too much on that. Okay, just before you do move on. No, 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 we, we are moving on. Okay. So I don't I don't I don't I don't care what you want, Suleiman. Suleiman, just listen to the dars and not yani, your own system. The second page now, because the, at the end of the day, the hadith is weak, which is the which is a shame, yani, that we spend so much on it. But the hadith is weak. Still, I think it's okay for someone to say it. But the Sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, it is not established from him at all, and so therefore, I think it is um, the better action, as Sheikh Uthaymeen himself has intimated, is that one does not necessarily have to state this, but this is known from the fuqaha. Okay. Now the second page is where we want to try. I really want to try and get into this today and hopefully finish it. But there's a lot of information. Um, did we read this in Arabic last week? Yeah. Yes, we did, yeah? Okay, so just to, just to do English now. So to carry on then uh, with the following recommended actions. By the way, if I was to say to you what was the most beneficial lesson from last week, what would it be? What was the most beneficial lesson that you learnt from last week? No. No, no. Your students of fiqh, okay? What's the most important lesson that you learned last week? You might not have realized it. I tried to emphasize it as much as possible, but it was a huge lesson. A skill, a principle, a rule that you learned. No. No. Excellent. Excellent. And I cannot emphasize that enough. When you come across the statement mustahab, recommended, this does not necessarily mean that this is an action of the Prophet And there's a difference between the word mustahab and sunnah. And that the real scholars, the top scholars, they're very careful in their wording and they will indicate that in their teaching and so on and so forth. Yeah, This is very important as students of fiqh. That we're now we're going to, the, the reason Sheikh Uthameen mentioned that right now is because we're going to be talking about Mustahab, Mustahab, Mustahab yani about a thousand times in the next yani, couple of chapters. And so you need to be really firmly you know, sure. Every time I hear Mustahab, I know this is a statement of the scholars that has been derived from actions of the companions and the Prophet, but it's not a direct implicit evidence. 
when there's a direct implicit evidence, either action or statement of the Prophet that's a sunnah, that's top level action. As for mustahab, generally recommended, this is what we think sounds good, feels good, in line with the objectives of sharia, kind of ethical behavior. That is the kind of force behind saying this is mustahab. And that is the, 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 the mustalhat of the alim, the terminology or the terms of the scholar when he's on top of his game. So we're following, continuing then with the recommended actions, recommended actions. And there you go straight away, you've seen it, right? Number one, he said the recommended actions, he made a dua. And what did we just realize? This dua is not a statement of the Prophet so you've already learned immediately, yeah? It's not an action of the Prophet So number two, beginning with the left foot when entering and the right when exiting the toilet, as opposed to the mosque or wearing slippers. Number three, actually I read all this, so let's just, let's just take each part uh, bit by bit. So the Sheikh says on page 108, uh, uh, beginning with the left foot when entering, وَتَقْدِيمُ رِجْلِ لِسْرَ دُخُولًا وَالْيُمْنَا خُرُوجًا أَقْسْمَشْدٍ i.e. that it is recommended to do that okay to walk into the toilet with your right foot with your left foot first okay and this is not a hadith this is not based upon a hadith in fact as sheikh says this is mas'ala qiyasiya yani qiyasiya meaning that it has uh, been derived by analogy what is the analogy the hadith that exists on other matters okay what are the the other uh, matters فَالْيُمْنَا تُقَدَّمْ عِنْدَ دُخُولِ الْمَسْجِدِ كَمَا جَاءَتِ السُنَّةِ بِذَلِكِ يعني The hadith narrated by Imam Al-Hakim and it is authentic and Imam Al-Dhahabi agreed that the Prophet ﷺ would enter into the masjid with the right foot. And so entering into the right foot into, by the masjid is an indication of honor, an indication of respect and honor for the right foot itself. We also know that he in the same hadith that he would come out of the masjid using the left foot so holy special place enter with the right because right is all good and anything else other than a special holy place coming out then that is left foot and that is what has been narrated from by imam al-hakim likewise the na'l meaning putting on one's shoes or the, the, the na'l means sandals but that's the point here okay it has been narrated by the prophet that in Sahih Bukhari and Sahih Muslim, as you can see at the, at the, at the bottom uh, below, that when he commanded وسلم, that if a person was to put on his shoe, he starts with his right foot when he's putting it on, and he starts with his left foot when taking it off. And the idea, and this is a lot easier to understand back then, is that it's about protection. So you want to, when you have exposed feet, the only reason that they would actually even, they would generally barefoot, and uh, you know you'd walk around barefoot without any problems okay so the only reason that you would put on a shoe okay were generally two reasons one honor there was a respect you know uh, remember what i said to you in the chapter of aura that there is a basic principle to cover the entire body is seen as honorable and nakedness is seen as dishonorable the same would uh, would apply to uh, to feet okay also sometimes when i say dishonorable depending upon context it also would show humility all right just like putting on you know like a king when you look at a king or like the old fashion kind of kings the first thing you notice is that how uncomfortable must it be because he's wearing like something then something else then something else then so he's like out there with that stuff do you know what i'm saying so uh here he's covering every part of his body but by putting all that stuff on okay he's clearly building himself up an image and the amount of arrogance can then put uh, can step in Likewise, if you were to remove as much clothes as possible, but I'm not talking about nakedness, but let's say like ragged little shirt cut, little ragged little thing, whatever. There's also a sign of humility as opposed to nakedness. You know what I'm trying to say? So I'm saying that not all the time is nakedness humiliation. Sometimes nakedness is humility. And likewise, taking off the shoes in the Quran very clearly has been linked with a sign of humility. But in principle, in principle, the main reason that people would put on a shoe or a sandal is because of harm. So they're going to go into a rocky area or it's going to hurt their feet and they can't carry on like normal so they have to protect it. So if you think about protection is the reason for putting a shoe on and they're starting with the right foot, then it means that they value the right foot more because they value the right more. And so when you're protecting the right, the, the right more, as Sheikh Uthameen says, this is takriman, yani honoring the right foot. Likewise, when you're taking it off, if you're taking off the left one first, that means you're exposing the left one to harm, yes? And you're protecting the right one for longer. That's why the Prophet ﷺ said in Sahih Bukhari, you, when you put on your shoes, you put the right one on first, and when you're taking off your shoes, you take the left one off first. And in Sharia, 
We know the Prophet ﷺ was a big emphasizer on the issue of the right. The Prophet ﷺ used to love uh, doing, uh, all, uh, in the hadith of Aisha radiallahu anha, uh, he would uh, this hadith is narrated by Imam Bukhari and Imam Muslim that the Prophet on the, on the authority of Aisha radiallahu anha that he was he, he used to he, he used to love putting the right first putting the right first in wearing his slippers and taking the first step, uh, and when he would purify himself. So that's why we know that when you wash yourself, it's the uh, right arm first. And when we're doing ghusl, we wash the right side of the body first. When we're walking into something special, right foot first. When you're putting the shoe on, right. In actual, in actual fact, in everything that he did, he would like going right first. Did you do left first and smile? Tarajjul. Stepping. You think in the combing? Yes. Uh, Sheikh, Sheikh uh, 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 Abdul Ghaffari is making a point that there is a state, there is a, a uh, the word tarajjul, okay, um, by according to some scholars, and I, I disagree, but yeah, I mean, this is this is fiqh. That's why we can we can accept it. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the problem is I am the boss. It is true. There there are a number of scholars that said that the tarajjul here it means in combing, meaning which is the same as perfuming, which is the same as purifying, and it is a, a, a well established opinion. But there, I also follow the opinion myself that it means the taking of the step, taking of the step. Okay, but there you go. At least now Sheikh Abdul Far got his moment. He's happy. So, um, and in, in, in any case, both my position and his position are covered in the final sta- statement. Actually, in everything. So, definitely in his combing, we know that he would start. We, we know, of course, that he did start uh, combing with the right side and brushing with the right side and dressing and putting his hand in the sleeve, right side. Everything, actually, everything. His, his right side, which is the statement of uh, Aisha radiallahu anha. And I tell you, I tell you what I found very interesting. Uh, uh, Sheikh uh, uh, Muhammad Mukhtar Shankiti in his uh, Sharh, he just brings our, our attention to the uh, Quranic indications of the excellence of the right over the left. Now, the right is always Ashabul Yameen, the people of the right, in the Quran means the people of Jannah. Okay? Whereas the opposite, the people of the left, are seen as the people of the fire. So that immediately indicates to you straight away that the right is more powerful and, um, and better. But also what he mentions is a very interesting thing, subhanAllah, which I never realized before. And this is the, 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 ben, the beauty of Qur'an. You will read it again and again and again and you won't see something. And you read it like for a hundredth time and you see a new, new fa'idah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, This is the ayah in Surah Al-A'raf, which subhanAllah I can't remember the beginning, but I'm sure it's talking about the kuffar, about the ayat of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that when they see them and, their, and the impact of the shadows of uh, these things, the, sh- the shadow that they give on the yameen, and the shimal is the left. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala didn't say shimal. He said upon the right, and then many shimals, shama'il. Okay? He said shama'il. And the ulama, they said that in the Arabic, this is an indication that when you put the singular versus the plural, when you say right versus left, that's the way it is in English, yeah? Right versus left. You, if I said right versus lefts, it doesn't make sense in English. In the Arabic, though, there's an indication. Right versus lefts is saying that the right is worth many lefts. Whatever value or whatever quality you have on the left, you have to increase it to try and make it the same as on the right. Which is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says shama'id here to improve, to improve your perception of right. And Sheikh, he goes that if you think about this example, you'll see it. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala made many darknesses and light. Zulumat is many, many darknesses and light. 
So, uh, Sheikh Muhammad Muqtana Shaqit is saying that in the Quran you will see that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala emphasizes the strength, the beauty, the haqq, the truth, he will use it in a singular and show its power. And the opposite of it, the haram, the dirty, the wrong, the darkness, the whatever, he will show that in many, many numbers. We may see it, we may see it on a human level as something powerful and so on, but with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it would have to be many of them to even compare in, in strength to the, to the right side, to the correct side. So I thought that was very... I thought that was very uh, uh, beneficial, Subhanallah, uh, his point. Anyway, uh, yeah. Two questions on mine. Uh -huh. uh, first question from Sister Lisa. Yeah. Uh, would the women of the Sahaba be wearing shoes when out, or would barefoot also have been a conventional mold for sisters as well? Um, there's obviously a difference of opinion upon that. Uh, upon that, the, the sisters asking basically that when sisters were going out, would their feet be covered or not? What was the what was the norm? Uh, in principle, it's the same. Okay, in principle, it's the same that the shoes were there to be covering. You see, uh, the reason I said that there's a there's a there's, a, there's a, a difficulty here is because you have some of the scholars that consider it an obligation for the women to cover their feet, and they try to establish that from the ahadith of the Prophet and it's actually not very easy to establish. Okay, but in principle, if we go back to the idea that. Uh, the body is to be covered in its entirety and for the woman even more so and you see some of the companions in their positions upon niqab and complete hijab then it is a safe position as is the position of Ibn Taymiyyah that a person uh, sorry as is the position of the majority of the fuqaha not Ibn Taymiyyah that one has to cover the feet outside of salah okay so i.e. walking around and so on and so forth so the general principle is that yes they would be Second is, is it true that the Prophet never wore anything in his left hand? Uh, are we also advised not to wear anything in the left hand, like bangles or watches, etc.? It's a good question. The Prophet uh, uh, I don't, I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's true. The sister saying, is it true that the Prophet never wore anything on his left hand? Which I'm guessing is like a bracelet or things like that. First of all, the Prophet never wore any bracelets. Yeah, that's a girl thing to do, right? So, uh, and that's that. By the way, that's a, there's an important point. If we're going to hate on Suarez, let's hate on him properly. Yeah? <laughs> What's that guy doing every time he kisses this bukwas? What's he doing? It's a bracelet or is it a tattoo? <laughs> Any scouts here to give us some clarification? No? He's in my, he's in my team, yeah? So, so uh, I mean, but you know, it's like stylish, isn't it? To wear those kind of like leather kind of straps or some that, that beads or whatever. I don't know what they're... Huh? Shambhalas. Is that even a word? Ajeeb. I've just... I've just learned I've just learned a new word, shambalas, yeah? This shambalas behavior, right? This is not this is this is this is from the girl behaviors. A man should not be wearing that. And maybe it's not even permissible because it's girls. It's a girl thingy. What on earth is a man wearing a shambala, whatever that is? Yeah? We call it bangles or wrist straps, whatever. And I'm telling you now that I have heard from some of the fuqaha that they don't even allow the wearing of a copper bracelet for medical use as well. I remember reading a fatwa from some of the mashayikh yani, because there's too much tashabuk bin nisa, too much yani, imitation of women in that, which is impermissible in principle. I'm a bit easier on that, okay? Uh, I think that it's okay for medical need. I have a bigger problem. Does the copper bracelet actually do anything, which is the, <laughs> which is the, which is the bigger issue? But I think the for medical need, whatever. But anyway, the, the, the point is a good one. Did the Prophet ever wear anything on his left hand? I can't say that he never wore anything at all whatsoever. I do want to say to you that the left hand and the left is seen as the worst scenario and the dirty and the this and the that only metaphorically not physically okay even though yes you would clean with your left hand okay even though you would clean even though you would clean with your left hand what if a person didn't have a right hand what's he going to do are we going to say your left hand is too dirty to eat with or drink with and all the rest of it of course we're not what if a person writes and he cannot write right-handed and he's left-handed for this person, we would tell him to write with his left hand and there's no problem and to eat with his left hand and so on and so forth if there was a need for it. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So I don't want to say it's completely metaphorical because that's a dangerous statement to make because there is a spiritual benefit, there is hikmah, there is a physical reality. The left hand is touching the jazz much more than the right hand. Clearly, you know, if you were to just, if you go to go to the toilet and you just put your hands underneath the water and then you took them out, there's a much greater chance that this hand is still more dirty than this one. Just common sense, yani, yeah? So there is something there. But does that mean you can't do certain things with the left hand? Like hold something or put a watch on or 
put a ring on or whatever. No, it's allowed to wear a watch. It's allowed to have something, to hold something with that hand, etc, etc, etc. Although we'd say we prefer things which are of honor and respect, then you'd put it on your right hand. Okay, now... Um, so do you wear your watch on your right or your left? Uh, well, I, I have to say <laughs> that when I used to wear watches, I used to wear on my left. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's a problem with that. I don't think there's a problem with that. I don't think there's a problem with that. But if a person did it, but but if a person did wear it on the right with the intention that I'm wearing it on the right out of honor, then I think that's better. But I don't think it's impermissible to wear a watch on the left hand side. I wanted to uh, bring something um, to your attention, which I found very interesting. I found it interesting because I was looking at Musa Ferber's original English translation, and I found it interesting because I was looking at a lot of the different texts in the Arabic of Zad al Mustaqna. So here's now another key lesson for all students of fiqh. You never, ever have 100% confidence in any written text whatsoever. Neither this one, which is the Saudi version of uh, Sharh Mumtia, neither any of the different texts of just Zad al-Mustaqni, either in print or whatever, or, or manuscripts or this or that. Every single copy has mistakes. And when a person puts a book like this together or does what they call tahqiq, authenticating of a text, they will gather a number of the manuscripts and they'll compare each one on every single word and then they will write at the bottom, this is not included in that version, this is in that version, this is this, this is that, and so on and so forth. It's very important to find that and to see that. Now, I mention it here because I found something very interesting. If you look in the Arabic of your text, it says, it says, وَتَقْدِيمُ رَجْلِهِ الْيُسْرَى دُخُولًا وَيُمْنَى خُرُوجًا أَقْصَ مَسْجِدٍ Okay? As opposed to a masjid. وَنَعْلِن I've written that in that Arabic there. وَنَعْلِن I found in Arabic original texts, comma after masjid, and then وَنَعْل comma what would that do? What would a comma do to the... the, the uh, just look at the power of a comma. What would a comma... And of course in Arabic, by the way, they don't use a comma. The original Arabic, they don't even use a comma. All right? It's only in the modern day texts that they use a comma to help for us beginners. Yeah? All right? So... What would a comma or lack of a comma change that to? Anyone? Yep. Nope. Nope. So the comma after na'al or before na'al? Comma before na'al. What could it change the meaning to? Which indeed it has in some Arabic texts. And as I said, the original English text that we use to translate this, because I have been editing it, okay, Musa Ferber, in his English translation, he went completely down that line. I wonder whether he's aware of what he did, uh, whether he's aware of the other more authentic copies of the, of the, of the text. Can anyone work it out? Yeah, just come before now. Does he create like a link or wearing slippers supporting one's weight? No, 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 you keep, keep, keep that one there. Has he created like a full stop Arabic version of a full stop? Not necessarily, but the, just in the translation, what would it be? Yeah, he's saying wearing slippers when you're going to the masjid, uh, supporting his one. Nope, nope. Anyone? Uh, if, oh, if, oh, if, if I think if, if you removed it, it would join. Not removed it. it. It's, 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 re, it's removed at the moment. Oh, right. It's removed at the moment. Let's imagine you put a comma in or pause in. No one online got it? No? Okay, then what then? What, so what would the meaning become then of this center, of this of this of this paragraph? All right. Yeah, yeah. No. Nope. If you're wearing slippers, you should wear slippers to go to the toilet. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Do you understand that? If you put a comma after masjid and you just leave na'al and then comma, then how this sentence reads is this: The following things are recommended. Bismillah when you go in. Say, Ghufranik, uh, when you come out, begin with the left foot when, when you enter the masjid and the right when you come out as opposed to the masjid. Wearing slippers when you go to the toilet. Going into the toilet and leaning on your right on your left foot. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? No? 
It didn't make sense, no? Some people got it, some people didn't get it. If you separate na'al into its own point, then it has to be its own separate point. The English translation, you see, uh, uh, just look at the English translation, in fact. Right? It would then read, it would then read, number two, beginning with the left foot when entering and the right when exiting, as opposed to the mosque. Semicolon. Number three, wearing slippers. Semicolon. Number four, supporting one's weight. Wait, do you understand what I'm trying to say? Okay. And that's how the Musa Ferber's English translation reads. And so therefore, someone who studies that or reads that without studying it, he comes away believing. And look how, look, this is amazing. It's fascinating. Because this mistake then builds and builds and gets massive. Because once you believe that there is a comma after masjid and it's a separate point, and that na'al is a separate point, once you believe that when you read the text, and then you make wearing slippers its own point, you're now making a claim that it's sunnah to wear slippers in a toilet. Okay? So once you believe that, then you start to defend it. So in the commentary to some of these notes, they then continued. They said, the reason you wear slippers in the toilet is because the ground is dirty. And because you are going to then do, you know, go to the toilet and there'll be splashes and so on and so forth, wearing shoes or slippers is going to be more protective towards your feet. And that's why it is recommended to do so. Which makes complete sense, right? Which makes complete sense. And we probably would agree with that anyway in principle. But is it part of the humbly intention? No. Is it part of the text? No. Is it part of the madhab? No. Is it a genuine, honest mistake? Absolutely. It happens all the time. There's a lot of lessons in that. A lot of lessons in that. That shows that when you read Arabic, you can't trust anything or anyone. You have to just... And that's the importance of studying with a teacher. Because you could read that translation and you know, you'd think, what, what on earth is that? And that's how I spotted it. Okay, when I was reading his translation and I see, I see the, the, actually I saw it in Arabic first, uh, comma, وَنَعَلْ And I looked at the English and he said, I'm wearing slippers. I said, where did that come from? I never heard that in my life. No, that's not, nothing that we ever studied before or whatever. And then I realized this is how it has been mistranslated because of the existence of a comma. So just a, a, a nice example. And it's again a proof that everything makes mistakes. Every, and, which leads me on to another point, actually, subhanAllah. Um, uh, I was contacted um, by the PG uh, team that there is someone out there who has, maybe more than someone, who has put the transcribed notes on our forum, from our forum, out there on the wider internet. So, um, on something like logical progression notes or something like that, uh, .com, I can't remember now. So there's two things. Number one, Jazakumullah khair, um, uh, that the conditions of the class and so on is that these things are not made public for more than just one reason, okay? We don't want them made public. We want to keep a control of this. We want to keep the, the class discipline. So that person needs to take them down or close the site or remove it or whatever, whatnot. But the, uh, so that needs to be done. That's terms and conditions as a student in the class. But more important than that is the second reason that they have not been checked. And me, I, you know, I'm going, you know, 100 miles an hour. The slower you go, the safer you are. The faster you go, the more mistakes you're going to make. And there must be hundreds of mistakes that I, I must have made and will have made. And I haven't even checked all the transcribed notes. So you're putting them out there, you know, for the public, that's a major, major issue. Uh, so, um, uh, so even I can tell you now that even on the forums, only up to transcribed notes number five have I checked properly. And I intend to over the next week or two to uh, check all the rest as well. Because in the next one or two weeks, you're going to be given um, a set of student notes that are going to be based upon that. Yeah, uh, professional kind of set of notes, inshallah. Um, so that's, that's something which is um, important. Please take that down. Please, anyone else, don't spread videos or uh, uh, thingies. They're not very secure. You can't secure anything on the internet. And we don't want to make it secure. It's saying, yeah, it's some kind of, you know, it's saying... Fort Knox that we're trying to protect here, but we're just trying to show some adab, yani, this is it, and don't spread the notes, don't spread the thingy, and people want to, they can join the class, they can join the thingy, join the forums, and they can participate like everyone else does. Now, on that point, there reminds me two more important uh, announcements. You're going to get an email right now. You're going to receive an email right now, um, and that email is, we're having a, a change of the system, we're upgrading the system, next week will be the new system in place. This is for online students. Actually, uh, not online, sorry, every student. But obviously, 
you cannot, you're not seeing this email, but you will need to do it here as well, okay? But online students, um, you're, uh, you will not be able to access the, the thing from next week unless you click the link in the email that you've just received, okay? And you fill in the details, okay? We, you have to fill in the details of this new system and you've got five days to do it. After five days, then you will not be able to fill in the new details and you will not be able to access the class from there on. That is essential that you understand that. That's the email which is coming out. Um, uh, so again, email comes, click it, sign it. If you want to continue, otherwise you'll find that you won't be able to access it at all. Second thing is the lesson from timings. From next week onwards, all of May, sorry, all of May, which is next week onwards, the new class time is 7.30. 7.30 British summer time. Now I know that we've been making a complete you know, pig's ear. Are we allowed to say pig? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we made a complete pig's ear Annie, of, uh, of uh, the timings when we're sending out the emails that we're sending, making people in India play with Pakistan time and the people in Malaysia play with Japan time and I don't know what's going on Yanni, yeah? but so I apologize on behalf of all of that, uh, on all the people Yanni, who, who did all that, but is it Abu Dhabi, yeah? Okay, then. why do you say his name for Astaghfirullah? Okay, so, so, um, um, I just want to say to you that whatever the time is now with you watching this right now, okay, it is 9.25, 9.35, sorry, 9.36 p.m. That's 9.36 p.m. That's called 9.36 UK time stroke BST. It is now 8.36 GMT. Is that clear, everybody? Okay, so just so that you know where you are, it is now 9.37 BST, <laughs> right? <laughs> next week, next week, your lesson will be at 7.30 BST, yeah. right? 7.30 p.m. BST. Please work it out for your own region, wherever you are internationally. Okay then, so anyway then, Sheikh then Uthameen, then he finishes, he says that um, this is a general principle um, and, and, that, and coming out of the toilet makes sense, you're going into a much cleaner place than you do with the right foot. I just want to say that Muhammad Bukhtar Shankiti, he makes another interesting point and he said that as far as I'm concerned, you use the left foot for going out anywhere else. Which is interesting because you would have thought that if you're going out to salah from your house or you're going out to study or going out to earn halal from your house, you'd start with the right foot. Okay? But Sheikh uh, Muhammad Bukhtar Shankiti, in a massively long, detailed and difficult discussion, he concludes that basically the principle is still that you actually leave with your left foot. You don't even bother asking me for the evidences for that. But he just said, yeah, that, that's, that's his opinion. So I'm just going to quote him as an authority. It's no problem though, because there's no evidence to <laughs> forbid it. There's no evidence to forbid it. Okay? Right. The next point is then, uh, that it is recommended according to, these, uh, according to these scholars, according to the madhab, that when you are sitting on the, when you are sitting for the toilet, that you lean on your um, left foot. Supporting, I've translated it as supporting one weight on the left foot. Now, this is very important, of course, because obviously no one on his life has known what, what does that even mean. That doesn't mean when you're sitting on your toilet that you just you lean on your left-hand side, yeah? Although some people do that, okay? And I want to say to you, and this is like my confidence I can come out with and say there's no meaning to you leaning on your left-hand side of your toilet. Because you might just do your screws in the at the back of your thingy, yeah? And, you know, the screws need some balance. We want weight transfer to be the same. If you, keep, if you keep yani, going on the left-hand side, then you don't know the other left, the right-hand side is then going up and whatever. But I thought as a builder, having built your house, you uh -huh. take that into consideration. No, no, my toilet. You would have put two screws. I want to say to you right now. Bismillah, mashaAllah, mashaAllah, bismillah, mashaAllah. I've got the most amazing toilets. Toilets is an ilm. I said that a year ago when I was building. I said people don't, I remember, I think I put it on Facebook then even. I said people have no idea what a knowledge is about toilets. It's a knowledge, it's a skill, it's an ilm. There's so much fiqh that has to go into buying the right toilet. And I'm telling you now, once you've covered this chapter, you'll realize. Once you've covered this chapter, you'll realize, you'll look at your toilet next time and you would never look at it the same again. 
You will now be admiring its curves, its moves, its size, its this, its that, its everything. Guaranteed, guaranteed. I was speaking to some brothers on the phone in London today, and they said we're enjoying the lessons now because they're real. We can see things now. I said, brother, you watch, man. When we do this lesson, you're going to look at every part of your body and everything and think, wow, I never knew that this thing could do this. All right. Okay. So now this is very interesting. The Prophet, the people of the Madhab, why did they say that you lean on your left side? Okay. Because of a hadith. This hadith is, is insane in its meaning. Okay. He commanded وسلم, the companions to, to support their weight on the left foot and to keep the right foot in a state of nasab. Keep the right foot in a state of nasab. And as he said, this hadith is a hadith da'if narrated by Imam Tabarani and Abayhaqi. And who made it weak? Imam Nawawi, Al Haythami, Ibn Hajar Al Haythami, and um, Ibn Hajar Al Asqalani as well. Now, uh, Ibn Hajar Al Haythami, I can't believe I just said that. Al Haythami and Ibn Hajar Al Asqalani, they considered it weak. Now, what does it mean? What does this hadith say? The Prophet commanded his companions to sit. I can't even do that too right now, so I don't even know why I'm trying. But I do need to try and show it to you, okay? Alright. First of all, you know what nasab is, yeah? Nasab is when you put your foot up. You know in salah, you know when you're right, your right foot? When you put your right foot like this, yeah? This is nasab, yeah? Everyone happy with that, yeah? When you put your, your toes up or whatever. So that's, that's nasab. Now, um, the, um, what's it called? The, uh, uh, first of all, this hadith is weak, number one. Number two, to do nasab whilst you're sitting down is insanely difficult. To do it while you're squatting is even next level. Remember that this entire chapter is about squatting. This chapter is about squatting. Allah, I can't squat. No, no, I'll, I'll die if I do. Yeah, yeah, Allah. yeah go on, do some squatting. Allah, show the people how to squat. Squat then? What the hell is that? Oh my god. Yeah, I don't show how to squat. Yeah, it's not cool. Squat, Yanni, you know how you sit at home? <laughs> like, like you go to the toilet on the floor. <laughs> oh. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's squatting, okay? Everyone happy with that? That is the way to squat. Now, I want you to imagine that you're sitting like this. <laughs> Now, I want, you, I want you to imagine now, according to the madhab, according to the hadith, it's squatting, leaning on the left hand side, that's it, like that, and now put your right foot up into nasab, meaning like as if it was salah. Okay? Can you guys see that? Yeah? Imagine now sitting like that, right? So you're leaning on your left hand side, the weight is on your left hand side, and your right foot is up. That is what the hadith mentions. Now, first of all, that's very difficult and it's weak, so it doesn't matter. So we put the foot down, and that's a mercy in itself. But this position is the seating position. Now, I want to discuss a lot about this, okay? Firstly, because it's very interesting, okay, that toilets is a complete bid'ah, complete bid'ah, right? They only started in the last 200 years, right? And 200 years. And people in these last 200 years, they saw it as a sign of advancement and technology and first world kind of thing, right? Otherwise, the principle for all of human yani, existence for the last X amount of thousands and thousands, thousands of years has to be squatting to go to the toilet. And when you squat, that's a proper going to the toilet. When you talk in terms of yani, going to the toilet, evacuation and all the rest of it, it's super quick, super uh, 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 complete. So it's Yanni, you know, and <laughs> you see, it's very difficult for me to teach this if we've got people laughing at me at the front, Yanni, you know what I'm saying? This guy, Yanni, he's gone red, and that one there is whatever, he's got the giggles, Nasser's dying, I don't know what's happening. But listen, I want you to, I hope you understand, and you know what it is? You think I'm joking, I bought you a diagram. Okay, listen. Okay. Is it online as well? Okay. So anyway, so for you guys here then, at least, I want you to understand that when you squat, right, the amount of pressure that you cause into the body is, is, is squeezes effectively the intestine and the ileum and the colon and all the rest of it and you're now just pushing everything out. That's what evacuation is. Now, 
I know this is going to sound strange, yeah, but this is, as I said to you, there is no yani, uh, uh, shyness in this uh, thingy. You're sitting on a toilet now, yeah? When you sit on a toilet, where is the way the toilet is, 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 uh, is designed? It's not for mazah and comfort. It's not designed for you to go to the toilet. It's designed for you to chill out, which is why people go in there and they spend hours in there. Because it's like sitting in their sofa, yeah? Nice height. Yani, you know, subhanAllah, they used to be low before. Back in the day, they used to be quite low. I mean, like 1900, 1950, whatever. And then because they saw people starting to get weaker and weaker and getting up, they made the toilet seats higher and higher. You know, you know that principle, right? When you're getting up from a chair, it's easier to get up if the chair's higher, right? And so the chair, and then they started you know, introducing, I mean, the, the Chinese, Japanese, they, they're next level baqas, yani. they put heaters underneath and this and that and all kinds of electric stuff and all the rest of it. They want you to have proper mazai in there. <laughs> And I want you to appreciate the point that it's not that toilet is not designed for going to the toilet. And the toilet, the bathroom, is also not designed for going to the toilet. It's designed for sleeping in. <laughs> it's designed for chilling in. It's so clean. Yani, I know that the toilet in my house is the cleanest place, the bathroom. Towels are clean day and night, everywhere, you can't even hold any dirt, there's no dust, nothing anywhere, everything is glistening all the time, mirrors, this, that, whatever, it's super clean. The whole point of a toilet is that it's the place is meant to disgust you. You're meant to go in there and you're meant to be super quick and then get out. And our problem, and if it's all of us, right, is that we don't want that, we want a clean toilet, clean smells, clean everything, okay, and so therefore we feel comfortable being in there longer, which is against the sunnah. We already said this is where the jinn are. And that's what they do. They keep you around and they keep you occupied and they keep you yani, doing all kinds of whatever. And you're staying away from the ibadah and the right places and the clean places. And there's no barakah whatsoever in this toilet, which is amazingly clean and amazingly modern. So I just want to understand, I want you to understand the psychology. There's no going back. There's no going back because there's no way that we can all go back to squatting. When you all go to Pakistan to the PN gang and you try, you try going to the toilet, you know it's all messed up. You go hunting for a real toilet. You say, I want a real toilet, a proper toilet. You know what I'm saying? People need to turn around and say a proper toilet is that hole in the ground, son. Yeah? And there's so much barakah in a hole in the ground. Because you go there, you deal with it, you'll do it very quick because you can't stand the smell that's coming out from the hole in the ground. Yeah? And you really are concentrating. Now, you know what's very interesting is that when you're sitting on this, on this seat, and I'm going to call it a sofa seat because it's not a toilet, is it? Yeah? It's a sofa seat you're sitting on, you're enjoying yourself there, right? Just relaxing. To go to the toilet, you have to put the effort in. <laughs> Okay, you know that whatever that's called that straining or whatever. Do you know how harmful that is for your health? I'm not even making that up. I went to a I was I went into the research lab. Spent two hours on this last week. Okay, and you look at all of the medical professions, the medical professional opinion, and they got there's no single benefit to sitting on a toilet and straining, whereas the one who is squatting. It is coming out automatically because of the way that the pressure is going on to the, you know, you know, uh, uh, colon cancer and this cancer and this condition, whatever, you know, the numbers in the years since the toilets went to a seat level, gone through the roof. And developed country, this is not me making up, and I don't want those kind of packed things you read on a, you know, packed site. This is now established, peer reviewed, evidence based. Developing world, developed world. Developed world, developing world is seen by the concept of toilets. The level of colon and stomach cancers in the developed world compared to developing is like a hundred to one. Like there's no comparison. Because they are evacuating all of the harm. You know this, this I don't know, they, they call it sesum or cecum, I don't know. Okay, but I'm, sure, I, I'm guessing a sesum. Cecum. So this cecum here, if you are sitting on a toilet and you strain, you are not evacuating the cecum all the time. But if you are uh, squatting, the pressure of your thighs against your internal uh, stomach is, I'm not saying that it's a solution, but it's actually helping for you to evacuate and put pressure upon this more than it would be if you weren't. So, I say all of that only to say to you that um, don't think that this is a strange position. You know that we cuss all the people squatting. And you know, subhanAllah, and that's why the kids have to get involved, Kids, naturally, that's how they sit. When you see a child from the beginning, they don't sit on the floor, they sit like that, naturally. They, they can squat. And then once you don't practice it, and then you lose it, 
And then, you know, your knees can't handle it. There's no way that I can squat. I used to be able to, though. Yeah. <laughs> I used to a long time ago. Although, subhanAllah, I do, I do sometimes yani, take advantage of a ground toilet. It's good for the system. I advise that to all of the brothers and sisters, yani, don't become too dependent upon your normal toilet. Every soul, every once in a couple of weeks, go down to Makki and use their one. Yani. <laughs> no, no, okay, there's never anymore. Say Qasim. Disbury. Go down to Disbury every couple of weeks and have a proper evacuation. It's good. Yeah, and it's healthy for the system. Only if there's a hoist available, yeah? No, no, not hoist available. You might need some support, yeah, and make sure that there's something you can grab to get up afterwards, yeah? But it is, there is a point there. It is good for the system. It is much more pain. Even the pain is a barakah, isn't it? Because you're in and out super quick. Because you can't sit around. If you're sitting on a chair, chilling out, whatever, whatnot, like this, yeah? Waiting, hanging around, whatever. It's a disaster, isn't it? You understand here? All right. So, so. We got through that, alhamdulillah. After saying all of that, what Shaykh Uthameen says is that the hadith is daif. And yes, okay, the, the doctors said that there's some benefit. And if there is a benefit for certain people and certain patients, and there was one study, a peer-reviewed study that I read, that said that those people who were suffering from colon uh, problems, when they swapped to squatting for a period of three months, that their uh, symptoms improved by 80% or whatever, whatnot. So that if there is a defined benefit for your, by your doctor to do it, then it's a good thing to do and it causes easier evacuation and so on and so forth. But is it a sunnah? No. And is it permissible to um, not have to lean on two, uh, uh, not lean on the left hand side and just lean squatting equally on both feet? Yes, that's okay. Yes, that's permissible. So I think that's a benefit as well. So not, but this is not talking about sitting on toilet seats. This is still talking about squatting. What Sheikh is trying to say is that if you don't lean to one side, that's okay. You can be equal on both feet when you're squatting. So then the question comes, should we sit on toilet seats? Answer really is no. But what else are we going to do? Like I said, there's no going back. There's no going back to yeah, those, those, uh, those times. I thought that was a fascinating chapter online. So, um, should we read a couple more things? Questions. Should we do some questions? Mm. Okay, then let's yeah. do some. Let's do some questions then. Yeah, let's do some questions. Um, we'll stop there. We didn't get as far as, as I wanted to, to be honest. But yeah, okay. <coughs> yeah. Hey, do you know, um, earlier on, we said about the the du'a that Abu Dhar uh, used to make. Mm -hmm. He said that even though it's a it's an of his own, yes. one can make it an emulation of the action of Abu Dhar. Now. How far is that extended? Like, is that, you know, because people could take that and say, well, is it limited to the action or the spirit of the action that he took? Where do we put a cap on this or is there no cap on it? This is a really good and really difficult question Nasser asks. He says that if we say that this hadith which, Alhamdulillah, uh, this dua is only authentic as a mawquf narration of Abu Dhar, then you know, what's the implication of that? How far does that go? Does that mean that we have an open kind of door policy to be able to take individual dua of the companions and start making them, making use of them? It's a really good and difficult question because dancers definitely know we don't have unrestricted uh, permission now to then take these and make them into like almost a pseudo sunnah. You'd create a whole new kind of flex, all right? Um, how would the, the guidelines to this are very very detailed not something that i can explain like this it would require like a, a whole lesson on usul okay to be able to appreciate how one deals with a statement's <coughs> companion's dua what i want to say to you is this is that for a person to own to say something like this believing that looking for a generic benefit there's some space for that, space for that. Someone saying something specifically, knowing it's not a sunnah, and then saying it all the time when they come out of certain action, bid'ah. So, therefore, to someone to say, I know this is not the statement of the Prophet ﷺ. I know that the Prophet ﷺ never ever said it. I know a companion, has it has been narrated that he said it. I will now, every single time coming out of the toilet, I will say this statement 
uh, then this becomes an act of worship if the intention is the reward uh, to be achieved by that that's dangerous and that's why you put that into the, the realm of bid'ah which is also one of the reasons why the madhab even the madhab they did they said mustahab to lessen the, the people's emphasis upon the dua let's not go too much into that more because well, saying, similar to that is for example the action of Abu Ghaira when making wudu that he would extend full of the arm there's a difference between something happening in the lifetime of the Prophet and it being sanctioned. There's a difference between a companion that is followed by five or ten other companions. Isbaghul wudu is something which is mutawatir from Sahaba. Each of these things has different categories. We're going into a different area. We're going into a huge area. Huge, huge area. The usul al fiqh. This is now going into usul al-fiqh. We're moving outside of fiqh and moving into more usul al-fiqh, usul al-deen. The principles of the religion with respect to how to deal with evidences and so on. What other questions on related to this now? Any any questions on... Uh, yeah. With the toilet situation, yes. will you be moving into how to bath and wash? Like, oh yeah, of course. of course. Of course, yeah. of course. But that's a long way away. Yeah. yeah. Just a couple of weeks ago, we did in the region of some man fasting. Yes. In that narration, did Salman of Fasi say that the Prophet also told us to lean on our left? Or not? No. 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 He did not say in that narration, which is narrated in Sahih Muslim, that he told us to lean on our left hand side. No. No. Clean with the left. Not lean on the left, yeah. Uh, not lean on the left foot, clean with the left hand. Allah Alam. Anything online, uh, Nasir? So uh, whilst we wait for that, you got that, guys. Yeah, about the um, uh, about the uh, email. Yeah, notes that they need to be taken down. Email. Uh, make sure you join the new system. Register with the new system. Otherwise, you won't be able to access the class. And do whatever the other thing was, I can't remember. Oh, timing. Half past seven. Half past seven. Very important. Yep. Sister I guess just as a conclusion, should we say, in the name of Allah, I seek protection with Allah from all devils and evil? Audibly. Right. So, sister's saying then that what actually then should we do when we walk into the uh, toilet? When you walk into the toilet, before you take the step in, you step in with your right foot, and whilst you're stepping in, but whilst still outside, you say Bismillah, Allahumma a'udhu billahi min al khubthi wal khabaith, wa Allahumma inni a'udhu bika min al khubthi wal khabaith. This is yani, both are acceptable because they both mean the same thing. Because even in A'udhu Billahi Min Al-Khubth Wal-Khaba'ith, A'udhu Billah has Allahumma taken out. Allahumma, by the way, you need to know, uh, is, is just Ya Allah. Okay? Allahumma means Ya Allah. Right? The meme is added as a badal to take the Ya out. Because the Ya is taken out, and then they put the meme badlan yani, for the Ya. So, that's why you say that audibly. Okay? Uh, sorry, you don't, when I say audibly, I mean you have to say it. It doesn't have to be heard by other people, but it has to be said. It can't be said in your mind. Like Fatiha, like Qira'a. You don't have to say it out loud, but it should be said by the person itself. Yeah? And when you come out, you would audibly say, Ghufranak. The audibly here does not mean loudly, it means that you actually physically say it. And this is what is established and authentic from the Prophet. Okay, guys? Oh, yeah, uh, yes, uh, into the toilet. Yeah. Yeah. Left foot, yeah. Did I say left, right? Yeah. yeah, left foot, of course. Okay, we'll call it. Uh, give the other. Jazakumullah khair.